On today's podcast, we have Dr. Brian Quivisto. Wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Actually, today we're flipping the tables. I am going to be the one who's going to be interviewed, but Julia Pellegrino has offered to instead be the interviewer. And in this conversation, she sort of flips the tables on me. She sort of changed the script, if you will, and caught me a little off guard, but I enjoyed the conversation nevertheless, and hopefully you will too. So please lean in and enjoy this conversation with me. Actually, that sounds really vain. <laughs> I'm going to have to rewrite that. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the pod. Today, I'm here with Dr. Brian Coivisto. Hi, Brian. How are you today? I'm awesome. Thanks for having me, Julia. Thank you for allowing me to interview. It's an honor and a pleasure. So you're probably familiar with the majority of these questions. So let's just get straight into it. If you don't mind telling everyone a little bit about yourself and what is your role here at Ryerson? So I am an associate professor in the Department of Chemistry and Biology. I am a chemist by training and I've been here for almost nine years now, but don't tell anybody. It'll be our little secret. <laughs> it's coming up on a decade. I'm starting to feel so old. <laughs> so how did you get to this position specifically at Ryerson? How did you get this job? And what school did you go to prior sure. to this? So starting the beginning, so hometown. So hometown is RR number two, Deborah. I grew up in a very, very, very rural area about 45 minutes east of Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. And Sault Ste. Marie, for those of the people who don't know, is near the Great Lakes. Yeah, rural community. I, like everyone else, did well in high school. Then from high school, I went to the University of Waterloo to do my undergrad. At the time, actually, I, apply, I remember applying to Queens, Guelph, and Waterloo, getting and into... And for what program? Yeah, so it was actually biochemistry. So I was going to become a biochemist. I remember that. Mm -hmm. um, but I never took... So I was a product of the Ontario OAC, which was grade 13. So it was still around when I went to mm -hmm. high school. And at the time, I had never taken OAC biology, which was the highest level of biology. But I thought, you know... I don't, didn't need it to get in, so I could do biochemistry. And uh, it turns out that that wasn't true <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> because my, my biology marks weren't high enough to continue in the program. And Waterloo, after my first year, said, hey, uh, you don't have the marks to continue. Have you considered doing this, which was chemistry, because my chemistry marks were high enough. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what, I'll do it. And so that's where chemistry started. And that's where my university career started was at the University of Waterloo. And I was in the co-op program there, which really was the draw to go to Waterloo because co-op looked like a cool opportunity. I'd applied to the other co-op programs, but I didn't get in. So uh, Waterloo was the one where I started. And what job did you do at co-op? Oh, I did a few of them. So I did, uh, I worked for Dempsters at Canada Bread, which was my first time living in Toronto. That would have been like 1996. And I remember the city, it was a very different place, especially um, Parkdale. So Parkdale would have been, oh, well, at the time uh, Canada Bread still is, it was at the, near the CNE grounds on Dufferin. And uh, I lived just to the west of that in Parkdale, a really nice little community enclave of Parkdale. But I remember, you know, being in the city alone, didn't have any family in the city, didn't know anyone in the city. You know, on weekends I'd get on or whenever my day's off where I'd go to, you know, on the streetcar, which I loved. And I thought to myself, I could never live in a city like this. Ironically, 
here I am, I'm living <laughs> in a city like this. Uh, that, that's the way life, uh, life is full of ironies, I think. Anyway, so yeah, I had a co-op job there. I also had a co-op job in London, Ontario, co-op job in Ottawa, mm-hmm. all kind of in the research area. But the one I remember, Dempster's probably taught me the most about myself and, and what I, where I wanted to go with my career. So you did some organic chemistry in Dempster's? So Dempster's was uh, more analytical chemistry, and I think I realized I didn't want to do that. So I, um, it oh, was okay. quality control and a lot of like the same replicates and testing over and over again. The other two jobs, one of them was for 3M Canada, and the one in Ottawa were more research-based chemistry jobs. 3M, it was organic chemistry, and at in Ottawa, it was making gas sensors so you got to make gas sensors that could detect carbon monoxide and that was kind of fun uh, both of those projects were yeah were really cool and the cities were london's not much of a city but ottawa i really liked um, for a lot of reasons and so yeah that was my co-op experience and that really what is what drove me to want to pursue graduate school these research experiences mm-hmm. Okay. And so is that what you wanted to do as a kid, some research? Did you know what you wanted to do? Like in elementary school, did you have any idea? Yeah. I mean, I had ideas. <laughs> I didn't, I, I think, <laughs> you know, I, I, have the, I have the benefit of, of having interviewed other people on the pod and yes. I, they're, yeah, they're very, they're very right. Like, I don't think I had anything cliche. I wanted to be a politician. I actually really, really did want to. Yeah, I really did. What drew I've you into always, that? I think making a difference. I, I, my dad was also someone who was very vocal at the, you know, at the dinner table and very strong willed and a socialist at heart. And I kind of wanted to, to be a politician. I think some small part of me still does. I think what you do now, you're still making a difference and you're still talking to people and sharing your beliefs. So you didn't really lose that aspect. That's true. I agree. I, get, I still get the opportunity to, to make a difference. And, and that's certainly true. Yeah, so I, I think I wanted to be a politician. I, I mean, at one point, I thought I was going to be a farmer. Oh, I thought okay. that that was going to so be my, yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite different. And then at one point, I actually really considered joining the military because military does, like, if you go through it, it does train you, right? It offers training to, to do these things. And at the time, there were no real major conflicts in the world. So I considered that as being uh, maybe an option as well. But I never, I never saw a university professor anywhere on the radar. Yeah, very different. Okay, and were you a good student in high nope. school? And oh, in high school, yes. High school, high school, oh, yes. Okay. I mean, I think we all are. I think like high schools are different for different people. But my mm-hmm. high school wasn't very good. And I'm not. If anybody from Central Oklahoma Secondary School is listening to this podcast, that's not. I loved high school. Like I loved it. Don't get me wrong. I loved everything about yeah. it. I was inspired, but it didn't have the depth of rigor that yes. when I got to Waterloo that I realized everyone else's high school seemed to have. Like, I remember sitting in math class, just torridly writing notes to try to keep up and everybody else was just yeah. sitting there. And I was like, what the hell is going on right now? How come I'm mm-hmm. the only one who's struggling? And so first year was a, was a huge eye opener for me. And I'm glad that that happened in first year because I learned a lot about myself during that time. Yeah, because in high school, it's just you're in a limited group of people. So you're probably going to strive compared to a lesser amount of people. And then once you're forced into a bigger group with people with different dreams and different 
ideologies. It just forces you to grow, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it inspires you so, too, because you get to talk to some really cool people in those, in those moments. Yes, exactly. So just out of my curiosity, what does a typical work day for you entail? So pre-COVID. Um, yeah, so I mean, you would do the commute like everybody else. You would get to work. You spend a lot of your time in your office answering emails. Uh, but that's not a bad thing because I think we've shifted to a culture there where you can be productive while doing answering, giving answers to emails. And then there's some teaching sprinkled in there. And a lot of, I try to have my meetings in the afternoon because my meetings are like those opportunities to talk to people and, and really sort of facilitate what they're doing. So I spend a lot of time with my students in terms of not in the lab, cause I'm seldom in the lab, but I help them try to try to complete their projects and try to advance their degrees. So I think that's what I spend a lot of time doing on campus. Yes. And for those of you who don't know, Brian always answers your emails very promptly and he's always available for office hours. So I think that's what sets you apart from different professors too, is that you're always available and you're always, you always want to help other students, which is really good. Yeah. One of the things that really drives me nuts too, is when you don't, when you're not responsive, like I try to be as responsive as possible because if I don't, I'm going to forget. And then I'm going to be yes. a jerk that won't have responded. So I don't, I, I don't like, I know, I know younger people spend a lot of time drafting that, that email as if it's some sort of like poetic ship in a bottle type of thing. But oh, it's, yes. it, to, to me, email is like texting. So I try to just get the communication done as fast as I can. Yes. And I remember once I emailed you and you just answered right away. Like, no, I think I sent you like a whole paragraph. And then the next day you're like, I'm so sorry here. Like I'll get, add some more detail because I think you just answered right away because you, I think we had an exam the next day and you didn't want to forget. And then you felt bad after and you just added some more detail, which I found was very funny. Yeah, but, that, that sounds, sounds like something I would do. Okay. So for the student listeners, I think the majority of them probably want to hear about your research and what it would take for them to get into your research team. Well, this summer, it's particularly easy to get in the research team, but, uh, but normally, uh, so let me tell you what I do first. So my research is on making next generation solar cells, photovoltaics. And the core of that technology is an organic molecule that's a dye. And it's a highly colored molecule. It's designed to mimic chlorophyll, quite frankly, as I'm looking outside at these trees. Um, chlorophyll is the pigment that drives photosynthesis in plants. And so we try to create a very similar type of cell that does work uh, using different dyes. And we look at those structure property relationships to try to find the, the top performers. And then that insight then reinforms our innovation process so that we can make better dyes. And, and we like to make molecules because at the core, I'm a synthetic chemist and study those molecules. And this technology, which is called the dye sensitized solar cell, uh, really is a cool platform to make a molecule and test it. And in so doing, you might get a hit that could change the world. So, or a piece of technology that could change the world. So about 85% of our time is doing synthesis and about 15% of our time is making and testing devices. And I think that's going to change as we go forward in our, it's probably going to be more 50-50 because we landed on a few dyes that we really like that are very efficient. And now we want to optimize them in technology and we really kind of want to advance the technology. So we want to I don't want to be so bold to say commercialize, but we want to try to push it in a direction that can see it being used and benefiting the world. So, That's great. I mean, as part of that journey, 
what we want are students who want to take up part of that challenge. So when students do approach me, I, I try to figure out, first of all, if they're self-motivated and what their interests are and what they're trying to do. Because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking long-term commitment because the students that we train and work with aren't, they're not all going to stay with us because some of them are just, you know, dipping their toes in the ocean and then, and then walking away. Others will want to swim out into that ocean. So I, you need to find a balance of both because you hope you can inspire people to stay on the project, you know, maybe do a thesis, maybe do a summer assistantship, maybe go on to do grad school because you, yes. uh, we're, we're training people and that's, that's where it becomes kind of a synergistic relationship. Like if I'm just spending four months with a, a summer with a student and then I never see them again in my lab, then while I know that that's my, my role, and I'm supposed to do that. I also recognize that that doesn't help the research that I'm trying to do because that person, we spent the time working with that person and then they're gone. Right. So yeah. there's a balance to be had and we try to find both. So people who are have a genuine interest in chemistry and developing technology are, are the kind of people that we're looking for. Okay, so what do you recommend for students who probably just want a summer position and are not really fully committed to research, but still want to gain that experience? Do you recommend them speaking to other professors or is there anything that they can do? No, I certainly recommend them still coming to me because I think that a lot of people, I was the same way, right? Like I didn't, yeah. I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do mm -hmm. and I like that, but I do expect like in in my heart, but I can convert anybody that comes in. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's okay. true, but I would like to that I could, giving them a really okay. awesome experience. And so yeah. with that awesome experience, and maybe I could, you know, charm them into staying. But at the end of the Does day, I work? think, uh, it has. <laughs> I mean, it, oh, it wow. doesn't always work. I mean, I think, I think every good experience can be spun into a, a longer, better experience in this business. Yeah. So I try to do, I try to do that. Okay. Sorry to answer your question. I would, I would encourage people to come see me, but I also encourage them to use the same sort of philosophies and reach out to as many people as they can to figure out what it is that they want to do. Okay. So you look for students who are persistent, self-motivated, and have the time, basically, just to summarize. Yep. I don't think I said any of those things, but that's exactly what I wanted to say. <laughs> You're welcome. I rephrased. Okay, so let's move on. What do you like best about your job and what do you like least about your job? What I like best about my job is making a difference in people's lives. That's I think the that's politician in you. Yeah, that's my, that's the good politician in me. I think that that's that to me is like I was brought up in a pay it forward household, like a pay it forward ideology. So that's like the best way you can pay it forward is to make a difference in some young person's life, a positive difference. What I don't like about it, which I've been pretty good at avoiding these parts of my job is the bureaucratic nature of my job. We're still part of a pretty large organization and there's lots of things that just, you just think to yourself, why do I have to do that? Like you just shake your head and you, or you squint, you make that face as though you just ate something yes. sour and you're just like, you're, brain starts like misfiring because it doesn't make any sense in the world and i've commented on them jokingly before but i'll use an example of these inc forms i hope they're listening like there's <laughs> stupid paperwork that we have to do that just doesn't make any sense and there's so many the inefficiencies of bureaucracy so that's why i hate the worst about my job okay inefficiencies of bureaucracy so like the administrative stuff no no I, administrative is fine in terms of meetings but okay. and leading 
like having the opportunity to lead in the past, uh, that's fine. I just don't like maintaining things. I'm much more of a builder than a maintainer. So I don't like the, the paperwork, those kind of things. Yes. And so what inspires you the most about your job? I guess coming back to that first answer is making that difference or feeling as though you've made that difference because at the end of the day, and it's tough. I don't, I think most of the people who've signed up for this podcast know me and a lot of them have obviously had some sort of somewhat positive relationship with me. Otherwise they wouldn't have been up for another No, the majority, yes. Yeah. So, and so that's good, but there's a lot of people who I try to reach that I never will. And so you don't always know you know, when you teach those big classes, who you've reached and who you haven't. You do know some, but it's it's only like the 10%, right? You don't really know beyond that how you're doing with everybody else. And you are really genuinely trying to reach out to them, but you're limited by your own teaching and your styles, like your learning styles and everything else. And so what's really awesome is down the road when there's no more power dynamic. So you have not seen this person for three or four years, right? They're, they're out and they're, they're no longer on campus. And you get this email from out of the blue. Usually when you're, the rest of your world is collapsing down around you, I mean, to oh. at least some extent. And it, it's just a positive reminder of how you made a difference in their life and mm-hmm. wh- how they were looking at their molecule of the day slides just recently because they thought, ah, that would be really cool to talk about from during my vet science program, whatever it was, whoever gave this, this email. And so to me, that just, just warms me, warms my heart. Yeah. I don't ask for that. I don't, I hope to get everyone else to get positive feedback, but I don't, I don't expect it either, but it's a, it's a great thing when it comes. Yes. And for those of you who don't know, Brian actually remembers mostly every single student's name. And I feel like you just want to develop a true relationship with your students, not just a student number on your sheet of paper on your like during your exam i think you truly touch every single one of your students which is great yeah yeah i think it's important i think the reason i do it too is to break down those hierarchical barriers because there's lots of them that exist i mean you shouldn't be putting people on pedestals no matter who they are right mm-hmm. like that's just not a thing because everybody is has faults everybody has things that you can learn from everybody has but See, but you don't know that until you feel comfortable engaging with them. And so I find it such an easy way just to learn someone's name to make them feel calling you Brian, right? And then, and now if they can call you Brian, then we can have this conversation like adults and nobody is freaked out anymore and everyone has a lot to offer and learn. Yeah, I agree. So what is the hardest part of being a professor that most students don't consider? Yeah, writing grants, getting funding to support your research because, you know, we, so we take research dollars or we, we get funding that then we pay our graduate students in form of stipends or summer students in, form of, in the form of stipends, whatever the, the situation is. And that, that can be expensive. I mean, you, you, I think we're lucky enough to get a scholarship this year. And part of that scholarship mm-hmm. is paid by the federal government, but part of it is paid by somebody else that makes up your total compensation. So this happens all the time. And we, like, if you really want to make a difference in someone's life, you got to get them paid a full-time job so that they can commit to this, right? You got to get the financial support yes. for them. Maybe they don't have the means otherwise. And that's hard. It's competitive. I don't think our government is doing enough. I think they're trying, but I don't think they understand what enough is. I don't think the public understands what we do. 
85% of that money goes to salaries and not mine. Like I don't benefit wow. in a single way from this grant money that we get. It all goes to students and their projects. And so, but it's very competitive, very difficult. And it sucks when you write a grant that you think is pretty good, that your peers think is pretty good and someone shits on it, right? Where it's just, mm -hmm. yeah, and, and then you don't get funded. And that, that kind of sucks because people's lives are hanging in the balance, not no, I don't care about my idea getting shit on. I, I get told that I can't make a difference in people's lives. And so that's mm -hmm. the hard part to swallow. Yeah, see, I didn't know that. And don't you think it's more important now, even with this COVID situation, to fund research and science? Yeah, and I think to, to the government's credit, they really have stepped up with a number of weird, weird programs, to be quite honest, like oh. co-op programs and things are, that they're, that I didn't see this, this funding was available before, that I'm now trying to find the right people and apply for. Yeah, there's lots of opportunities more so, but I think, I still think they're coming up short. Like I still feel like mm -hmm. that, that it's as, never a rich country, as a rich country, we could do better. But I think it also means we have to convince the public that it's worth supporting and that it needs to be a priority. Because I think I agree. we're still we're still very fortunate as a group, as a country, or as a group of scientists that science is still largely inaccessible for people who don't have the means, right? And we can't we got to fix that problem. Mm -hmm. I agree. And so, what do you believe are the most important transferable skills that every student should have, and why? Yeah, the, there's some I, some I can I can inspire like curiosity, but I can't really get them. I want them to ask questions, and I use Steph as I won't let her say her last name, but Steph is a yeah. good example of somebody who in is working for her right now. Where in high school she was told that she or during a parent teacher interview that she asked too many questions. Oh wow! Right, and then that shut someone down. Right, like literally the teacher says, "You're you're too high maintenance," and now she doesn't ask questions anymore and, and that habit even though that inquisitive nature of the human was there it was kind of beaten out of you not literally but figuratively mm -hmm. and I find that that's something that I really really look for in students is there to be curious I also like I love persistence like I just love people who don't give up I just I love that you don't have to be the smartest person you don't have to you just have to not give up yeah so that's probably my favorite I agree and for the curiosity thing, don't you think it could be a balance of, like asking too many questions can kind of be you being dependent. So like, instead of you asking like, is this okay, is this okay? Maybe just to be more independent, but still asking inquisitive out of the box questions is good. And, and that's actually a great clarification. So is it okay is not a question. It is technically a question by the English language, oh. but that's not what I mean by a question. So. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't mind answering that because I know that everybody is insecure when you're doing something for the first time. But mm -hmm. what I like is why. That's the question I, yeah. I want to know. I want, I want the question to start with why. Mm -hmm. And I guess when and I give inquisitive, that's what I'm thinking of. And that's like your molecule of the day. When we're learning different, I forget what we learned in organic chemistry, bond angles. I don't even, yes, sure. It's just like, okay, we learned this, but now why? How does this relate to me? And then you tell us why with the molecule of the day. This certain aspect that we're learning, this is how it applies in your real life, which I think that's very important to include. And even just to intrigue students to find more of a purpose of study. Instead of just yeah. memorizing, now you know the real life application. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, and that's part of the reason why we do the molecule day is just a, it's a nice little brain break for the middle of the class, but it's also 
it tries to get people to understand that organic chemistry is around you everywhere. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's move on to the rapid fire. I tried to change some questions that you typically ask just to catch you off guard. So okay. I'll just start with the typical one. So what factoid do your colleagues or students know least about you? I've mentioned this to a few people that know me. I think there's a, one other colleague in the department that shares this. I grew up on a farm and I did not grow up in a city. And that is a very, 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 very different life experience in terms of how mm -hmm. most of the people I teach and, and most of the people I interact with and my paths deviate substantially. And like I said, I wanted to be a farmer when I was a kid, when I was younger. I thought that's what I was going to do. I thought, you know, that, that seems like a noble craft, feeding people, doing the things that, you know, being your own boss. Like that seemed like a great job in so many ways. Not a well-paying job, but a great job. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize how much that shaped who I am and my belief system and what my experiences were as a young person. Okay, and is there a quote or a saying that you live by? So for example, my quote that I live by is nothing good in life comes easy. So do you have a sort of saying like that that you follow daily? That is a good question, Julia. Well done, actually. <laughs> the one quote, and this is gonna sound a little bit confusing or, or maybe inconsistent. It actually comes from Garth Brooks. So I, I grew up at a farm, Garth Brooks was a big country singer when I was a kid. I really liked his poetry. I liked what he had to say. And one of his lines in the song was, I'm not here to change the world. I'm here to tell the world that it's not going to change me. Hmm. And I like that quote because we all have really important things, great skills, wonderful human qualities that the world beats out of you, that mm -hmm. they, it takes it away from you. And you have to recognize what those really important a lot of people need to change. Don't get me wrong. We have blind spots and, and everything else. And I certainly have, have changed a lot and learned a lot. But some of my core values, which I think make me who I am, no matter what the world does to me, I'm not going to bend and waver or pander or mm -hmm. change just so that I'm successful, more successful, because I think it would be dishonest to who I am. I agree especially in the social media era of just trying to conform to what you see. I think it's important just to stay true to your morals and values that you've had growing up. Yeah. I question them all the time, but I mean, but then, yes. but then recognize that, no, I'm doing this because it's, it's good, right? It's, it really mm -hmm. is. And, and so behold those, those things, because I think they, they give you a lot of strength and fortitude. Mm -hmm. I agree. So what famous person, living or dead, would you most like to go to dinner with and why? And I'm going to say Garth Brooks because, okay. he, so he's not, I don't know that he's a role model, but I really did like what I listened to. Not, and a lot of people don't like country music, so they're going to be like, uh, they're going to think it's horrible, yeah. but I really liked what he said. In fact, one of the songs people don't even realize Adele made famous I forget oh. which song it was now that Garth Brooks did first. So it was his song that she made famous or more famous. So yeah, so I think I really, I think I'd like to talk to him. He, uh, he's had some life experiences that I would love to better understand. And he got out while he was still proficient 
if that makes sense. And I wonder what retirement would have felt like for him. I'm not looking to retire anytime soon, but what is that like? So yeah, I think that would be a cool experience. Okay, interesting. And what is your favorite food? I like French fries. I just, just French okay, fries. Like, 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 I don't know, like, you know, those like, I don't know, just really good French fries. I think that's the thing that I- McDonald's? I, really, I like McDonald's, but I wouldn't call them really good French fries, but there's something about okay. those salty little crispy fries that you are drawn to. But I also like those New York fries, like the oh, yes. fries you get from one of those food trucks that like really, real potatoes cut, like just, oh, that's, mm -hmm. that's like the best thing ever. Okay. And what is your favorite movie? Ooh. <laughs> I caught you off guard. <laughs> no, you did. You did. And I know it's Emily Agard is already listening, laughing in the background as she's listening to this because it's, it's kind of personal and a bit embarrassing. So my favorite movie is Love Actually. Oh, okay. it's, a, it's a British movie about Christmas time and a whole bunch of what you think are very independent storylines that all come together at the end. And it was, it started after the September 11th. So it has this like connotation about how the world changed so much. And then, yeah, so Love Actually is my favorite movie. Okay, I'll probably watch that tonight. Uh, yeah. What is your biggest pet peeve? <laughs> I have so many. <laughs> I have so many. Um, I... You can name a couple. Okay, so my biggest pet peeve is when in writing, so writing right now, because I, I spend a lot of time reading and writing, is the use of the word very when you're writing something mm -hmm. in chemistry. Like it's very big. Well, could you not just say it was big? Like, why do you have to say it was very big? But this is something that happens all the time in technical writing. The way we speak, our colloquialisms get lodged into the way we write. Um, and that's not supposed to be the way. And I'm not an expert writer, so I shouldn't probably be commenting on that. Pet peeve. I, I'm usually pretty easygoing. So other than it comes to, I guess if I've said something before, don't keep doing it. Like, like if I said, oh, okay, can you please yeah. change this? Like, stop don't make me repeat myself. I guess that would be my yes. biggest pet peeve. Yes, yes, yes. I agree. Okay. So if you were not a professor, what would you like to be? Politician? Yeah, or a farmer. <laughs> I've got to come <laughs> back to this. I think I've come back to those two things. So what is something in the top 10 of your bucket list? So when I came up with this question, I didn't have a bucket list. And that's odd that I keep asking this question to everybody else. Uh, but I now have a bucket list because I'm filling everybody else's bucket list into mine. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, that's right. I'm, and I'm probably notorious for that, taking other people's ideas and making them reality. Um, and I don't feel like I don't give those people credit. I just, I just, I'm, I'm a doer, not a, not always the most creative person. Um, yes. I'd like to visit all of the territories and all of the provinces in this country. And mm -hmm. that means there's two territories and a province I have not yet went to. So I think that would be Which on are? my New Brunswick. So I've never been to New Brunswick and I've never been to Nunavut or the Northwest Territories, but I have been to Yukon. Maybe when you can, uh, when we can travel yeah. again, you can go. It's yeah. going to be an expensive flight though. Those places are hard yes. to get to. Yes, I know. What is your biggest fear? That's a good question too. Like it could be just like spiders or anything or failure, anything. No. I don't mind failure. Something that scared me last night was a raccoon <laughs> came right up beside me and I screamed like a small child while I was sitting outside. Uh, okay. I guess, yeah, so, I, I, that, that was just like a, like a frightening moment because he came out of nowhere 
and he literally sat beside me like I was he was a pet of mine and that was the weirdest oh moment God. I think my biggest fear is not being able to make a difference mm -hmm. I think that would be my biggest fear okay and what is your greatest achievement so far this job I think it's it's totally fortuitous like there's with so many things that you stumbled into in life and you didn't know where you were going or where your path was. And then you find something that you kind of fall in love with. And I remember in grad school being, you know, TA and really loved TAing. And then I got a chance to do that. And then I got a chance to become a professor and it's a secure job. It's one that comes with great privilege in many regards and it pays well. I mean, I, I couldn't ask for a better environment to work or a better situation to be in. So I think I'm most grateful for that. That's my biggest achievement, sorry. I feel like it gives you the opportunity to do other things too, because I feel like you're so busy. You have um, Sci999, you are the head of the DART committee, and maybe it also gives you a lot of free time to do other things, not just teach and do your research as well. Yeah, yeah, and you're your own boss, right? That's cool that you know you get to be like an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And you can sort of make a difference without a lot of people telling you what to do all the time. So yeah, it's good. It's really good. It's good. A good opportunity. And what was your greatest failure? It's still something I think, you know, most failures are things that you overcome. And this is still one that I, I consider a, a failure because I'm not able to overcome it yet. I, this job, while it's great and wonderful, and I'm glad I hear I I've, I haven't really managed myself well, and it's, it's caused me to sacrifice a lot of things I think that a lot of people don't realize. For example, I don't have a family, but I've always wanted a family, but I always put my job first, and that caused problems in previous relationships or other issues that may or may not have led to me having a family at this point in my life or not, I don't know, but it's something I don't have, and it's something I always thought I'd have, but it, I know why I don't have it, and that's because I'm I'm too selfish and career driven and uh, I can't, can't find a way to square that circle, that square, square that circle, whatever the expression is yes. uh, to find the balance. Well, it's never too late. And all of your yeah, students I, are like children. Yeah, that's true. But I don't, I don't want to treat them like children because they're my adult younger friends that's true. That's true. as opposed to people that I'm, that are my parent. Yes. Yes. I, I get it. Okay. And what are you most grateful for? I think, you know, while I say that I'm still trying to improve, that I've been given the opportunity, whether it be my personal relationship or my professional one, I've, I've always had a lot of great people in my life. Fantastic, mm -hmm. fantastic, fantastic people. I can't say much and enough about them. And any of my previous relationships that are over now certainly know I never felt bad about them. And I currently have a, a wonderful partner who supports me in, in a lot of different ways. And yeah, I think I'm most grateful for the people in my life. Okay. And what spot in the world do you most like traveling to? The Pinery or one of the other cool provincial parks with a lake. I do like going home too, which is not, there's no provincial park really close to where I grew up, but I do like always going home, even though I don't have a lot of connections to Northern Ontario anymore. I really do love going there. So when you say home, you mean your like childhood home? Yeah. Okay. Our two Deborah. Okay. And what is your most productive time of day? Morning, without question. I, I can get a lot done between 8 and 1 p.m. with four cups of coffee. 
<laughs> during that period of time, I feel like mm -hmm. I, I can get anything done in those five so hours. So what time do you wake up? I wake up, between, well, right now, I'm actually, yeah, pretty regularly between seven and eight. Okay. And what is your favorite hobby? I would like to say that it was hockey or golfing or hiking. I'm not very good at hockey or golf, so I, <laughs> I, I, but I do love playing, but it doesn't take up a lot of my time. I do love, hiking is more of my partner's love, but I enjoy it when I'm there. I just kind of don't want to do it until I get there. And then uh, I guess I love building stuff. Like I, I love working with my hands and making things whether they be physical things like a, like a structure, I'm building stairs from my back porch right now. Oh, um, wow. Or it's uh, a pergola in my side yard, or if it's an incubator on campus, like I love building things. Mm -hmm. And you do that in your research too. Aren't you building? Yeah. Devices that, yeah, that convert sunlight yeah. into electricity. Yeah, that's right. I, so it's very consistent with who I am. Okay. And what piece of advice would you give your second year self in university? Because maybe, I don't want to say the majority, but a lot of the listeners are second year going to their third year. So what piece of advice would you give your second year self? Find somebody in your class that you don't know. Offer to go buy them a cup of coffee or a tea or a beer, whatever works for everybody. And just go and get to know them. I think one of the things that we never do is we don't leave our circles very often. And when we don't leave our social circles, we don't expand our blinds, like our blind spots just get bigger because they're the same people who you always listen to or inform you. Networking is so important in this world, so important. And it's amazing how any human, and it doesn't matter who you are, can inspire another human. I find it just, I find it remarkable how we can inspire each other. And so I would certainly suggest that just do that. Just meet a stranger, get to know them better. And I do it safely, obviously. You're not, you're not. Yeah. And make sure it's a public place where you meet, whatever, right? Like there's, yes, it's, yeah. there's all sorts of things that you can do to, to prevent any sort of be, being responsible, but obviously and, and being safe. Yeah. Even sometimes you're forced to meet new friends if you're in a class where you don't have any friends and you have to pick a lab partner. So those experiences are good, even just for preparation for the real world of like making friends with coworkers. I think it's good just to get that extra practice and like you're right, leaving your bubble of your little group of friends just to expand. Yeah. So let's go to the coping with COVID section. So what is your biggest challenge with COVID? So with this pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I've been really fortunate and I certainly understand how privileged I am. I mean, I don't think I've had a lot of problems yet. I think the problems are, are come in the pipeline, <laughs> my, for me anyway. I mean, I, I see my peers and they have young kids and they have to teach their kids and, and yes. be with them. And the, everyone's in the same household, so you can't even share or offset the, the dynamic between with partners. And I, I can see that being really challenging. I, I feel for them and I don't know how to help. I see a lot of students who are struggling. I'm not an extrovert, so, and I'm not growing up a farm. I always knew that there was something I could do to be productive, and so I've always had that mindset and attitude. I never feel like I'm bored. Yeah. And so it's been really good. I think 
you know, there's a reason why we did this podcast was to connect people. I think that that's one thing I do miss because the same people, the same reason that I love my job, I don't get a chance to interact with them. And I think that's the big fear in the fall for me is how do I, how do I create the same sort of connections that we have with each other now, like we are doing with Sign 99 or whatever, if I don't get a chance to meet and talk to people and get to know them, right? Like I won't have that same sort of ability to connect with people. So I think those are some of the challenges, but I've been really lucky so far. I think you can just overcome that with Zoom. It's still like you still see their face, you can still talk. So I think that's, it's not completely shut, like that interaction. So it's not too bad, I think. Yeah, and I'm gonna try to think of some clever ways as well to, to address that too. And so what are your strategies for coping? I know you said you're not really, it's not really a struggle for you, but like, are you trying to go outside more? Just instead of staying home all day, what do you do to keep yourself occupied and stay outside? Yeah, and I think, I mean, getting outside is really important. So I, I always go out for a 90 minute walk every day. 90 minutes of stop walking with the, you know, 1500 steps you get from being in your house during the day is roughly the 10,000 that you need, at least for me. Oh, wow. So I try to, I try to get my 10,000 steps. Well, no, I always do. In fact, for the last five years I have, but the thing that I try to do that helps, I listen to podcasts. I mean, even listening to some of our podcasts and replaying them, I think it's fun during those walks. And yes. uh, that's one good thing. And, and then I recognize that something somebody else said on one of our interviews too, is that you know, you normalize over seven days now. So it's not like five days. You don't have to have the stress to get everything done that you were going to do in one day because you yeah. get to, to set your, your pace a little bit more. So I find that that has been maybe the best strategy is just spreading it out over seven days and taking the time you can to, to make the most of your day. And, you know, we don't have to commute. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. And you save a lot of money too. So I would spend yeah. like $6 a day, which adds up even on coffees, little things here and there. And so would you say that's your silver lining in this pandemic with more time? Yeah, I, I actually, so one of the, more time for sure. I think because I, there's being at home and being an introvert, this works for me. One of the, I think my biggest silver lining is going to be one that people probably don't know about me either is that while I have a few research grants that help fund students, I also put a lot of my own money into my research program. So I will pay, from my, my pocket students so that they will have an opportunity. So it's not public money, it's, it's my own money. And wow. because we're shut down right now, I'm not paying for consumables or anything else. So uh, this is a crazy number and I just wanna share, I should, probably should have shared as what people don't know about me. I've almost spent in the last in nine years or eight years, I guess, $250,000 on research that had no tangible oh benefit no direct benefit to me anyway. So, and that's a lot of money, but the only reason I could do that is because I have a great job. I don't have a lot of expensive hobbies or any expensive hobbies really. So I was able to do that. But when you do that, you also carry a lot more burden of debt, right? Like my bank accounts are often in the red. And actually, because we've been shut down for three months and I haven't had to pay that extra cost, I've actually my bank accounts are all in black again. So <laughs> that's a good, that feels, that feels really good oh. um, because it's, it saved me enough money that I could get it, get the balance again. So that's been helpful. Okay. And I think that's been my silver lining maybe in all this is the financial aspects of this pandemic and how much it saved. And I'm assuming most professors don't take out of their own pocket to pay for research. No, I think, I think my peers are shaking their head at, right now as they hear me <laughs> say that they're probably like, what? 
what are you Why doing? Are you I know doing some, that? some people do. I mean, I know that there's, a, there's people will chip in their own money, but I don't think to like a quarter of a million dollars worth, like, I mean, like, you're, like, yeah, like that's, that's a lot. like, I, I get paid a hundred, like my average salary since I started was like, a, like $120,000 a year. If you average it out, that's my gross income. That's gross before taxes. Right. And you can, everyone could then look that up on your online account. And that's not a big deal. Yes. You, can, you feel comfortable sharing it. Yeah. Yes. Um, but that's like two full years of my gross income over these last eight. So that's oh quite God. a substantial when you think about it. And luckily, because I live a pretty frugal farm kid life at home, I don't, I don't have big costs, so I can afford to do that. But yeah, I guess that's one of the expressions I learned on the farm that I think is still really another cliche thing. So you asked me about a quote to be, put your money where your mouth is. Mm-hmm. And like so that's that. what I, so I think that's what I've done. Okay. And before we finish off, I asked on our social media account, the Ryerson Cambio account, I posted if there's any questions that students have for you specifically. So I just have a few here, if you would like to answer. Sure. One being, what was your biggest struggle throughout university? Balancing doing well with understanding and making connections. I think a lot of people know how to do well, don't always understand what is their learning. And I think that was coming back to what I said about myself, like don't change who you are for who you want to be. Really focus on what you're good at and try to make connections. And I think it has led to a very, very powerful fundamental knowledge that I have. It's not just information in my head, it's I get it. Like, and I don't always have all the uh, facts, but as soon as the facts are given to me, I'm able to integrate them with my knowledge really well. So I would never come across as like, I never, first of all, I never do well on Jeopardy. I get killed. I'm not one of those. <laughs> yeah. But I can reason through a problem really quickly using a lot of different experiences. Okay, interesting. And what clubs were you involved with at university? So one that is that was involved in that I sort of given up in that I really loved wasn't a university club per se. It was 4-H. So 4-H is like a it's kind of like Boy Scouts, Girl Guides for farm kids. I think it, that to me, that organization did enormous amounts for me. And then later in years in university, I sort of focused more on research and being a student and chemist and a person at Waterloo. And I did like a course union, chemistry course union thing. I uh, really enjoyed that. And do you recommend that? Because I know we have some union or course union. Do you recommend that for students yeah. at Ryerson? Yeah, and I would totally recommend anyone at Ryerson getting involved in intramurals too, because that's a great way to meet people doing something that you that you have a shared enjoyment of. Even if you don't know anybody, it's a, it's a lot of fun, and it's a great way to sort of build connections. So I really enjoyed intramurals as well when I was an undergrad. Okay, and this is actually my own question: How do you remember everyone's name? Is there a certain trick you have, or has it gotten easier over the years? Well, I think some people's names, for whatever reason, I get like, let's say 10% of the class because you have a face that seems to match the name. And I think, I think Julia, you're somebody who, who did have that face, but there are then some other names for whatever reason, whether it be the background of people, you just don't remember the name or you can't be like, whose name is that? And you just can't do it. And I make a lot of mistakes. Like I don't get it right very often (laughs) for some people. I feel Oh, I, for a lot of people, I don't get it right. It takes me like five weeks, six weeks, but, but it's because I give those quizzes back to you every week. So yes. I, 
when I, when I collect your quiz, I read your name. I try to make a face. When I mark your quiz, I'm trying to remember the face, but I'm saying your name probably incorrectly <laughs> in terms of pronunciation. And then, and then I hand it back to you and it reinforces who it is. So it's all about just keep on doing it. Like just keep, keep putting yourself in those situations and you do it enough times, uh, you'll always get it. And that's persistence. Yes. Okay, I think that wraps everything up. So thank you so much for taking the time to let me ask you questions. And, and thank you so much it. for having me on the pod. It was fun to be on the other side of the table, even though you yes. put some of those questions on me. <laughs> yes, you know, I did that on uh, purpose. Yeah, I know, it was good, it was a good move. Um, but thanks very much for doing this, Julia. And uh, I really appreciate it. And we'll hope to have, maybe we'll reverse the, the tables again and just have you being interviewed by me. Oh, no. <laughs> One day. Once I do more yeah. in life, maybe. Okay, <laughs> thank you so much. All right. Talk to you Bye. soon. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. Bye.